Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the First Baptist Huntsville, Alabama Young Adults Podcast. I am your host, John Lemons, and this is our podcast series, Black, White, and Red All Over. We are in episode 10 of our third season, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-hosts, Ethan McVeigh, Tiffany Fanning, and Ellen Christian. How are you all doing on this for us, a wonderful Thursday morning. I don't know when everybody's listening to uh, to this, but for us, it's a Thursday morning. How are y'all doing? Doing good. Happy Thursday. <sighs> I went to swap a load of laundry, and um, I realized it's probably in, been in the washer for two days, so I had to rewash that load. That's always the worst. I hate when that happens. Yeah. That's so I'm not the only one, though. Ellen, how's it going? Uh, I need I need a cup of coffee. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> this morning, you don't even drink coffee. But I feel like I need it. I feel <laughs> like I need some goat juice. Nice. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. All right. Well, yeah. just to give uh, everyone an idea of how uh, how Ellen's life's going right now, we so we do a, a show sheet. So this is like a it's like a little document we send out before every show, just so we know here's what everybody's gonna talk about. And everybody always fills it in, and then Ellen fills it in like five minutes before the show. And so yesterday, I was like, I sent a text. I was like, hey, everybody, remember to fill out the show sheet. And Tiffany was like, this is a really hard show sheet. And I was like, it's not that hard. And uh, and I don't remember how I got there, but I eventually was like, Ellen hasn't even opened the email yet to read it. And Ellen was like, you put, you put a read receipt on that, you booger? And I was like, no. I didn't even have to put a read receipt on it because I know you haven't opened the email. <laughs> That's what I know. So, but I can't, you know, I can't be too hard on you because to be honest, I don't read all my emails. Tiffany will send me emails with like a hundred questions in them and I'll just pretend like I never saw them. It's not a hundred so. questions. It's like, and they're usually hard. Oh, they are very hard. Yeah. yeah. So, Ethan, how's your Thursday morning? It's been good. Um... I did prayer breakfast with some of the students early this morning over in Madison City, and uh, now I'm down in Birmingham. So that's exciting. Yeah. So uh, well, we'll move into our our highlight of the month. That's what we're going to talk about here. And uh, in addition with that, I have a question for you guys. I want to know what your first ever screen name was when you you know first got involved with the internet or chatting or whatever it was. So. Uh, we're going to go out of order here. Ethan, let's start with yours because it has to do with why you're in Birmingham. Yeah, sure. So, um, oh, highlights of November, lots of them for me. So I um, am in Birmingham today because my wife, Caroline, got a job down here in Birmingham with Lewis Communications, and she's super pumped about it. It's been a great job for her, uh, great coworkers, good environment. Um, and so we have moved to Birmingham, or she has, um, and we have an apartment down here. And so during the week, I'm up in Hertzville still um, and living with some church members. And then on the weekends, I'm normally down here and sometimes she'll come up to Huntsville. But it's been just a good move for us and uh, it's been really exciting. So that's probably my highlight of this month. And then my first ever screen name, this is a hard one, but I think it was... Uh, for Xbox, and it was uh, Dark Knight, which is like, you know, Batman, because uh, I love Batman. And then the number 22, because that's my favorite number. I didn't know you were a Batman fan. 
Oh yeah, big time. But I love so what what our listeners can't see is it's Dark Knight with one K, all one word. So which is totally what you do yeah. when you do your first screen name. So. Because all the other Batman names were taken, you know. So you got to find an inventive yes. way to still be Batman. Excellent. <laughs> So that's awesome. All right, Tiffany, what's your highlight of the month and your first ever screen name? So I had a few highlights, um, and most of them came from the middle to end of November. So I am a fully ordained deacon now, so that was pretty exciting. We had that ordination service. Here's my plaque saying that I'm officially official. Deke. Uh, that's right, Deke. Um, I also had a birthday, which was cool, I guess. It was a birthday of a woman who's married with two kids because I didn't get a cake. I didn't get a card. I did laundry. I meal prepped. I got my kids ready for school the next day. So it was a very normal, uh, hey, you're a wife and mother kind of day. And I got to spend a lot of time with family due to the Thanksgiving holiday. And um, that was a lot of fun. And my first ever screen name was from AIM, so AOL Instant Messenger, for the people who don't know. And I think it was TiffBB27, because I was trying to be cute, and my name's Tiffany, so I was like Tiff and BB, because I shot BB guns, and I wanted to be like a baby BB. And then the 27 is my uh, birth date. So I was real cute. I think I was in, I might have been in middle school when I got that. Sounds about right. And for being a loser, yeah. That's my shame. You shot BB guns. Yeah. That's awesome. I also shoot deer, so I mean kind of keep Well, I knew I know that about you now. Like so I, I could see I could see you being a, a BB gun enthusiast as a as a child. Excellent. Plus you by the way, you have told me not to call you Tiff. That nobody calls you Tiff. So nobody the fact that you Tiff. you called yourself Tiff. I didn't want to use my whole name because that's weird and lame. And um, it was yeah. You're dealing with the internet. That's true. Dealing with the internet, which I mean, Tiff. I mean, how many T I F F? How many other name options are there really? Um, but I think I didn't grow into not liking people calling me Tiff until I was older. So. Ah, I hear. I hear you. Okay, Ellen. Highlight of the month for screen name. <laughs> highlight of the month. Um, I actually have a good one. Um, so I helped co-chair um, the uh, Circles event for CJC. Um, that was a big, bold move for me. Um, I love events and uh, going to events and um, planning things at my house, but this was something um, way bigger than I've ever done uh, before. And explain it for people who don't know how big of a deal that is. Um, so we averaged in attendance 800 people. Um, and we met with this speaker who came recommended to us, um, by, um, Susan Wessinger and Ann Stone, um, who was, Jocelyn Edmonds was phenomenal. She was exactly who she she was was on paper that she was in person. And I, um, have a huge respect for that now. Um, we met with her for dinner prior to just like a two weeks before, just so she could get to know like the CJC organization. Um, we could tell her a little bit about get to know her for her to get to know us. So she was, you know, comfortable. Um, and so we could learn a little bit about her story and, and, and her program that she, she runs at Grace's of her, no, um, the place of grace, sorry. And, um, so it was just, um, it was, for me, it was, uh, 
she was so on fire for God, but not in a cheesy. It just was very authentic. And uh, I loved it. I could have sat in the room with her and had a conversation with her for a long time. So like when we left at like nine o'clock that night, we were all like, oh, we don't want to leave, but we've got to, we've got to. So, um, but so that was like the, um, the circles event is, is at CJ's, um, biggest fundraiser for the year. It helps, um, propel the rest of their budget for the rest of the you know year. Um, it's a great event, um, as far as, uh, um, people coming and, uh, it kind of kicks off the Thanksgiving season for me. I've done circles now for, um four years maybe um so that was kind of a, a big thing for me uh, that was my highlight definitely for um for november and my screen name um it was uh dancer chick 88 but it was not c-h-i-c-k it was like c-h-i-k it was like missing a letter because dancer chick was already taken so so i so you you were into dancing yeah i danced growing up um, I know that. Mm -hmm. And then I had, I was on AIM. That was where I first got my screen name. Um, was there. So for then, you, for you and Tiffany, that would have been about 10 years old, probably. Um, I was eighth grade when I got on AOL. Mm -hmm. People are still doing it then. I remember very specifically. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was in college. I can very distinctly remember in college, everybody had a AIM screen name. You you left it open all the time, and you know there was the like door sound when one of your friends enters, and yeah, all kinds of stuff. Like it That's was nostalgic. I don't know yeah. any of this. Oh, Ethan! <laughs> Back in like are you. I'm 26. Oh my gosh, you're an infant. Yeah. Well, I remember the first days of actual AOL too because my buddy and my best friend in high school he actually had a computer and had this would have been like 95 96 had AOL it was all dial up I can remember sitting there and being so excited to get on the internet at his house and like we would chat with people rando people which is crazy now um but yeah it was I can remember all that very distinctly so when it by the time AIM came out you didn't have to have AOL, but you would, yeah, you'd create this little free account and it was just an easy way to chat with folks and, uh, everybody. I mean, everybody did it in college. I mean, it was like how you text now with your friends, yeah. but it was just, you would, you know, you would have your aim open on your computer in college and, you know, your, your friends in the other dorms or whatever they, you know, you would like, Hey, when are y'all going to dinner or whatever? It's the same way, like we text now, but that was what we did back in the day. So my screen name, my very first one. So I've got a little bit of backstory to mine as well. Uh, so <laughs> I, for some reason, I so, you know, as a kid, I was really into wrestling. Everybody's, everybody, every guy gets into wrestling at some point, WWF or whatever. When I was growing up, there was a guy named Jimmy Superfly Snooka. And I just thought he had the coolest name. So I was like, I remember when the internet became a thing, yeah, I, I can remember thinking like, whenever I'm, a, whenever I have my own screen name, I'm gonna be Superfly, but I'm gonna spell it with two eyes instead of a Y because it's cool. And then I put twenty four because that was my favorite number as well. So my very first screen name was Superfly twenty four. It did not last long. I eventually moved on to 
Eutychus 77, which there's a story behind that as well, but I'll, ta- I'll tell that later. Uh, but, you know, my highlight of the month as well. Much like you guys, the holidays, I mean, I love... I love this time of year from October to Christmas. Like it's, it, as I get older, I appreciate it more. I enjoy it. I love how the weather changes. I love how everybody gets all festive for everything. I love having a holiday every single month because it stinks when you get to January and it's like, oh, there's nothing until like Easter comes around. I mean, Valentine's Day and stuff like that, but nothing, no like major holidays, you know? Uh, so for, for us, you know, we went to, Virginia, where I'm from, went to my parents' house uh, the the weekend before Thanksgiving. Got to spend some time there. That was great. It's uh, it's always weird going back. The older I get and the longer I'm away, because I my parents are still in the house that I grew up in, and it's just always just strange. But I, as I get older, I appreciate Thanksgiving more and more, and uh, I I think it just comes with the age. But the whole idea of you know being thankful and and having a feast together with people that you love and and I'm taking advantage of that time. I think, I guess as I get older, I'm more and more aware of how shorter the time is getting. So that holiday has, has kind of slowly crept into like my top maybe two. Like I really do enjoy Thanksgiving more than I did when I was, when I was younger. So that was a, it was a good one. And, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I appreciated it and enjoyed it this year with our last one with, uh, two high schoolers so next year we'll have one coming home from college uh hopefully uh and not going to somebody else's house for thanksgiving so that was my highlights and that was my first screen name but let's move into uh our topic for the month uh for this this is our, our november recording so we are nearing completion of reading the bible we're at the very tail end so what i want to ask you all is what has been your favorite story or passage in the Bible, either that you read this time or, and and maybe you saw something that you hadn't noticed before, or maybe it's just a story that that's always been, or a passage that's always been a favorite of yours that you just enjoy coming to year, year after year or whatever it is. That's the question of the month. What's your favorite story or passage in the Bible? So this is what I thought was really difficult in the show notes because when you're reading and you're recapping on just the month, you'd be like, oh, I didn't like the whole book of Judges. And it's easier to pick out a story that maybe stands out when you're reading a lot of harsh stuff. But when you're in the New Testament, there are so many miraculous stories. It's difficult to pick. And then if you put it all into like the overview of the whole Bible, there are a lot of really great stories. So my first instinct is to pick um, the exodus um, of the Israelites from Egypt because of, you know, learning the Pharaoh Pharaoh song. Whoa, whoa, let my people go. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. In elementary school. Um, so that's a great, like a great story. And then the plagues of Egypt, but it just feels like too big of a favorite. So I picked something that's a little bit more humble, a little bit less flashy. And it's uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and how he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. And um, I think it's Philip comes to him and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch is um, saying, no, you know, he's, a part of, I think, the Ethiopian queen's, like, council. So he's a, a learned person. I mean, he's reading. He has the scroll of Isaiah, which we've come to know is um, it's difficult to get a scroll. It's very costly. So he could very easily be like, oh, yeah, I've read it many times. I understand it. And he was humbled enough to say, how can I understand it if no one tells me? If no one tells me the meaning of it. And so I think that's my favorite so far 
um, putting in a different context of less splashy, just because we all need the extra learning. Um, I'm on my second read through of the Bible. I'm going through a third next year is my intention. And I still need people to come alongside me and help explain what's going on. So just a good reminder for me of like, even when you're a learned person, there's still more for you to learn from other people. Yeah, what's great about that, too, is it really gives you a picture of how the early church did scripture and did the Bible and things like that, because the earliest writings we have are Paul's letters. And we think maybe at the earliest those came 15 to 20 years after Jesus, you know, death, burial, resurrection and ascension. So there's a two decade at least period where there's no new testament as we know it there's no writings that exist as far as uh, you know what we consider scripture today now i'm sure they had writings that they relied on for different things obviously the apostles were still alive at this time the majority of what we probably understand as the gospels today were their personal stories and they probably traveled around a lot telling their stories and telling their accounts but as far as what we know of as the new testament like like they just didn't have that so for two decades, at least, the church met weekly, had church, had worship, uh, and they had scriptures, but the scriptures they had were the Hebrew Old Testament. And so they would preach Jesus as Philip did to the eunuch, but they would have to do it using the Old Testament. And I do think that's something that we'd lose today. And you've talked, Tiffany, before about your, you know, the difficulty of understanding the Old Testament. I think it's because since we have the New Testament, we kind of use it as a crutch i think sometimes in our understanding of jesus and we don't we don't try to even find jesus in the old testament and that's what the early church was forced to do because they that was the scriptures that they had so just a, a additional thought there i love i love the, that story as well and i love that you shared it and that it's one of your favorites uh ethan well, what about you man favorite story in the bible or passage yeah uh for me it's really this storyline that we get from Eden all the way through. And it's this idea that like, there is a place for us to meet with God. And I mean, that's what we were created for. That's what we had in Eden. Um, and that's what we lost. And that's the big tragedy of the Bible. Um, and then John, you've talked about before how so much of the Bible is devoted to like, how do we get back there? How do we get back to Eden? How do we get back to this meeting place with God? And that's why in the Old Testament, the temple became really interesting to me. Um, it hasn't always been. I used to think it was really boring. Um, you know, a lot of the Old Testament passages about the temple are like, hey, there was there was this basin of water and it was this big. And there was this lampstand and it had these little almond things on it. And I was like, well, that's okay. Who cares? Um, maybe the Israelites cared, but like, why should I care? And it was the, the first time I read through the Bible that I had someone teach me that, like, no, the temple is specifically made this way to look like Eden. The, all the water right. that's there is supposed to remind us of the four rivers that are in Eden. Uh, all the wonderful gold and gems remind us of uh, the gold and gems that were Eden and um, the, the lampstand and other things remind us of the trees and just the bounty 
just nature that was in Eden. And so all those things are great, but re really what it's pointing us to, right, is that we are present with God again. Um, and that is incredible to me that in the Old Testament, even, we have the presence of God with us. It's not like we have to wait until Jesus, but like God was present with his people in a real way, uh, primarily through the temple in the Old Testament. And that's why my, so my favorite verse of scripture uh, for the past, like probably two or three years has been one that we haven't read yet, but um but we will read, so I hope it builds your excitement a little bit. But it's from Revelation uh, chapter 21. And all that whole chapter talks about is like the new heavens, the new earth. And it talks about how there's going to be this new Jerusalem. And when I think of like a new Jerusalem, it's like the first place I would want to go is the temple, right? Like that's where... God has been present with his people for thousands and thousands of years. Um, and that's where so many meaningful things happened. That's, I mean, Jesus went to the temple so often in the letters and, and in Acts. Like, that's the first place that Paul would go is uh, not to the temple in the towns, but to the different places where the Jews would gather uh, for worship. Those gathering places were so important. And that's where he would share the gospel for the first time when he went into a city. Uh, and so when I'm thinking about the new heavens, new earth, and a new Jerusalem, I'm excited to get to the temple. And then at the end of the chapter, we're just hit with this verse and just knocks me on my feet. It says, uh, verse 22, it says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And so we get to the end of the Bible and we no longer need a specific place um, to remind us of Eden or to remind us of the relationship that we can have with God, but God is just there. Um, and we don't need any symbols or reminders anymore because his presence is that real and that personal with us. Um, and so that verse, when I read it, um, I just didn't understand it for a long time. Why is there no temple? Like, I want to see the temple. Um, and, uh, but it's come to mean a lot to me. So I hope maybe that builds your anticipation for the book of Revelation. It can be daunting, but there's some good gems in there. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and yeah, exactly right, man. And I, same way, like I did not understand for the longest time that the temple was representative of the Garden of Eden. And I think the Bible Project puts it really well. They, they kind of say, you know, first the temple and then actually the person of Jesus are sort of this Venn diagram and if you don't know what a Venn diagram is, it's just like two circles that overlap. You've seen it before. Um, and so Jesus and the temple are this Venn diagram where heaven and earth overlap, right? But you get to the, what you said, Revelation, where there is no temple, where we've made it back to the garden, which is representative of our fellowship, our communion with God. And there is no Venn diagram anymore. It's a circle. It's because they they completely merged into one. And it's captured in uh, in Revelation, and yeah, but but you miss that, and you miss the power of what you just said when you don't understand that. Yeah, the temple is designed to kind of represent this this place where we can go back and we can meet with God and we can be in the relationship we were intended to have. So yeah, looking forward to that as we as we get into Revelation here in in December, uh, which is a fun read also. 
at Christmas time, by the way. But we'll we'll talk more about that later. Uh, Ellen, what about you? Favorite story passage in the Bible? Um, so as sometimes when we go through this, I always like put a pen in a place where I, I want to like go back and read more. So last year it was um, Hebrews. Um, and we just did a study in Hebrews, um, and man, like I fell in love with Hebrews hard. However, this trip going through, I, I think I want to do a study on John. Like I kind of read when I, anyway, I know some of it's kind of, you read some of it in some of the other gospels, but, um, I don't know. There's some, some stuff in there that I was like, huh, I would like to tap into that more. I'd like to tap into that more. But my favorite part when we get into, um, oh gosh, well, it is my favorite because it's after the resurrection when Jesus, um, comes to Mary and, you know, she's in the tomb, she's working, she's trying to, you know, fix it. And she's like, no, they took my Lord away. And he like calls her by name. And every time, like tears, it like every time I've, I've listened to that particular piece every time. And I don't know if it's the, the, person who's reading on my side um but the way he says like her name i can just imagine what her heart feels like when when jesus says mary you know and she like looks up at him and i just can't imagine um i don't know but it just kind of gets me kind of emotional now like you know jesus calling her by name and and that instant recognition and and stuff I, i just you know i think that's such a that's such a feeling when you first accept christ you know when he calls you by name and I feel like maybe that's the first thing you should hear is is Jesus saying you know Ellen or Tiffany or Ethan or John so I don't know that's one of my um, favorite pieces and I always forget about it until we get to that point and it's such a I don't know kind of always hits you right when you need it so but John is uh, I think a a book I want to dive into more uh, next year it's a good one it's one of my favorites (laughs) not just because I'm named after it but also, the, so the interesting uh, with the Mary story, who does she mistake Jesus for? The gardener. Exactly. And yeah, so that that's another connection with Eden and mm-hmm. how we get back to the garden and all that stuff. And yeah, I love I love that detail, that story as well. But I don't know that I've uh, picked up on the impact of, of him calling her name in, in, in that moment. So thanks for, uh, for sharing that. So for me... Uh, so this is kind of goofy. It's not super spiritual at all, but it's super random. It's my favorite story in the Bible because it's just hilarious. And it's just one of those things like you wouldn't expect to find in the Bible, uh, but it is, and it's there. And it's the story of Eutychus. It's in Acts chapter 20. We haven't gotten there yet, but we're going to get there in about a week or two. And it's a story where they're in um, somewhere in, uh, Greece or, or in uh, uh, Asia or somewhere like Western Asia, somewhere in that part of the Mediterranean. And Paul's preaching and Luke's talking about it because Luke wrote, wrote Acts. And uh, he says, uh, he says, seated in the window. So they're they're in this building. They're about three stories high and it's a hot room and it's a late night. And so there's a young man named Eutychus seated in the window uh, because it was hot. And so he said, seated in the window was a young, young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. And I love that Luke includes <laughs> that detail because I think we all just get this 
idea. I, I can remember in seminary guys being like, oh man, like I wish I could have like heard Paul preach. And like, there's just such a reverence in our faith for Paul, which is fantastic. And there should be, but I, I love this idea. Like even, even Luke was kind of bored of Paul's preaching, you know, and he just kept going, you know? And, uh, and then Luke, uh, Eutychus falls asleep, falls out the window to his death below and Luke reports that Paul runs out everybody runs out and Paul raises him back to life and then he goes back upstairs and finishes preaching like preaches until dawn <laughs> you know so I love that story because it's like hey we've all been there like as a as a preacher like I've been there when I'm like oh this is not connecting at all uh, and to know that Paul was there as well is a great uh Great anecdote, great thing to to remind yourself with. And then also just the whole detail. I've used that as a joke before, like use this as a warning not to fall asleep in church or you might die. Uh, don't trust me to have the power <laughs> to raise you back to life. So, you know, like it, it's just, it's such a random story and it's in the Bible and I love it. And there's no way it's made up. It's, it's, you wouldn't make up a story like that. So it's just a great story. Uh, and so good, in fact, that my second ever screen name was Eutychus 77. Uh, 77 simply because I like the number seven as well. So I put it in there twice. Uh, but Eutychus, I love... And it, the, the hardest thing with that being a screen name or an email address, which it was at one point in time and still is my spam email address, um, nobody knows how to spell it. So I always... It, it was such a difficulty having that because I would always have to spell it and then I'd have to explain it, whatever. Uh, the other favorite story of mine also comes in Acts, and we just read it, the Jerusalem Council. Uh, it's just a really good one uh, because I think we don't appreciate how life-changing it is for us. Like, church as we know it would not be what it is today without the Jerusalem Council. And I think we also do not appreciate how big of a deal that was to get a room full of Jews together who, in their scriptures, were commanded— to uh, circumcise one another if they were going to be people of the covenant um, and to get them to see like, hey, this thing that is commanded of you in the scriptures, like, isn't necessary for all people uh, to be followers of Christ. Like, that's just a pivotal moment in the history of the church. And I think we don't appreciate the conclusion that they came to that really paved the road for for all of us to be included in that family as well. So it's a, it's a really wonderful story. And I would encourage anybody as you come across it, uh, maybe in future readings, or if you haven't gotten there yet to really take some time to really slow down and understand what's going on and appreciate that story. Cause it's a really, really, really good one. Uh, that kind of bled into that segment kind of bled into our next segment, but let's talk about specifically what we read in the month of November in the gospels or in acts or in the epistles themselves things that you noticed in our November reading that you would like to share with our audience. And let's start with Ethan. Yeah. Um, I think first like a general, um, insight, and then maybe I have a few specific things that really stuck out to me. My, my general insight was just like reading through the gospels in this way, where we were, you know, jumping through, all well three of them mostly all all at the same time and reading them chapter for chapter and they're reading the like one in the other books uh it 
revealed to me like how much Jesus talks about our actions and like what we do. Um, and yeah, I mean, what we do, who we are, how we treat other people. I mean, that's really important. And I think sometimes in the American church, maybe especially in the South, like we can focus so much on maybe church attendance as our, our godly action um, or Bible study attendance as our godly action. But I think Jesus really talks a lot about, you know, how are you treating the poor? Are you caring for them? Um, and just for me, I was reflecting on like, honestly, how often do I even come in contact with uh, someone who is homeless or uh, who doesn't have um, the capacity that I have, I guess. Like, do I even put myself in a situation where I can care for those people and have an opportunity to to love and to, to be action-oriented, I guess, and really put my faith into works? And then we read in James, right? Like faith without works is dead. And so I, that was just a good reminder to me, you know, that our faith, yes, is all about our belief, but it is also all about a belief that works uh, yeah. and does. So that was kind of my general thought, just reading through the Gospels. Um, one thing that stuck out to me a lot um, in John's Gospel, right, he has these seven different I am statements. That's something that scholars have talked about uh, when you read through the Gospel of John. Jesus says, like, I am the bread of life. And so he has these seven different times that he says that throughout the book, and they each mean something different. But uh, in his account of the Garden of Gethsemane, when this band of, like, vagabonds, basically, like, hired hands, I mean, really, when you read it, I was taken aback. It was like, they didn't even know who Jesus was, because they get there, and Judas has to be like, hey, it's the guy who I kiss on the cheek. That's the one you're going to arrest. So, like, these these guys didn't know anything about Jesus. I'm guessing they were just, like, some some hired muscle, right? That's a great um, point. Isn't that? Yeah, that just hit me this time. I was like, they don't even know who Jesus is, and they're coming to arrest him and, and take him eventually to his death. Um, and it's at that point, like, they're kind of questioning him and um he says like i am not i am something but like i am and and that's a direct like reference to god's name yahweh which in hebrew means i am uh who i am basically uh and so he's kind of finally and clearly saying like i am god he's not just saying like, i'm the son of man using some language that's maybe up to interpretation he's just like i am and what happens like everybody like falls over like literally it's not just like mic drop and jaws drop it's like everyone falls to the ground and um just the power of who jesus is uh really struck me when i read that passage and i mean the cross the crucifixion it's not something that was forced on him because, I mean, he's God. It's something that he willingly chose. Um, and then one last insight, this time from the epistles. I love the book of Galatians. I think it's raw and, you know, Paul doesn't hold any punches. 
Um, one of my favorite uh, verses from it is Galatians 3, 3. And uh, he, Paul asks them, like, having begun by say, are you now perfected by works? And so he's like, you know, you started off your, your belief, your journey as a Christian by faith in Jesus. And that was like what was core. Do you think that now you need to earn your own salvation and, and work the rest of the way? Um, and yeah, I just have always liked that verse because, again, it's something that maybe I feel a tendency towards. I, it's easy for me to think sometimes like, oh, God saved me back then. Uh, but but now, like, it's my turn to, to pay up. Now that he saved me, like, I better be good uh, or else I'm not going to have it. And, and really, that's like works-based salvation, um, just in disguise, maybe in our Southern culture. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so I think this verse, like, just drives me to, to my own heart each time I read it. Um, and it was powerful, again, this, this reading through, so... Awesome, man. Add something super yeah. fast on Yahweh. So I know y'all all know it's a super sacred name. They don't say it in the Jewish culture. They don't even spell it all the way out. So if you talk about Yahweh, um, it's usually like abbreviated Y-H-W-H. Um, I really want to get that tattooed somewhere. I'm still thinking about how to get it incorporated and be classy. Um, but I had read something on probably Facebook and it was like, God is with us and wants to be with us so that if you pay attention to your breathing, your inhale makes like the same sound as the yeah, and then your exhale is way. Like, so every time you breathe, inhale and exhale, you're praising God by giving um, blessing or not blessing to his name, but you're invoking his name. So just your life breathing is um, is a celebration. And sometimes when I'm having a bad day, I, I do that. I'm like, I'm like yeah. oh, that's Yahweh. <laughs> Don't do it in vain, Tiffany. Don't do it in vain. That's right. Uh-uh. Absolutely not. Yeah, no, that's the the breath. Uh and 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 the breath of God being what produces life is such an important feature in the Bible as well. So that's a that's a good thing they bring up there. Uh, and you you are exactly right. Uh they do not in Jewish culture throw that name around, particularly in Jesus' time. For so for Jesus to even make references to be and I am is just that is that was why the charge they brought against him was blasphemy. Uh, it was because he he seemed to be a lot looser with uh, with that than than they were at that time. What about you, Ellen? Insights from Gospels, Acts, Epistles, anything from this past month that you want to share with the audience? Um, I uh, always um, kind of reading through the crucifixion this kind of close to um, Christmas. Always kind of. It's like a reverse thing. It's weird. You know? yep. Yeah. But I noticed this time how much we spent on the birth and how much we spent on the crucifixion. I, in my head, I feel like it's always been a little reverse. Like we spend a lot of time talking about the birth. Maybe, I mean, we do kind of talk about the birth a little bit or the coming, I guess, really all through um, the Old Testament. I mean, it's just, it's like an idea that you can't, rasp does that make sense and to me it feels like this little bubble but then i felt like when we read through the gospels this time the crucifixion i felt like was got my attention more maybe that's how i should say it uh it was a bigger bubble um and gosh man 
every time, every time I read it, it is still hard. It's not easy. It's it's always thought provoking. Um, and in the uh, theme of uncomfortable, which is how I'm reading, um, that's my theme for this year. Um, I um, set through and listen to all. I I feel like I'd have to listen through the crucifixion every. I mean, I read through it. I don't know. Just it's hard. I'm an emotional person, so I I take things to heart. Um, and so you know, we asked the question last time. You know, would you be a Christ follower back in this day? And I just wondered, gosh, man, would I be one of those people yelling crucify him? Like, I don't know. I I spent a lot of time thinking. That question provoked some interesting thoughts uh, in this side of the reading. Uh, where would I be? Where, you know, where do I stand? Um, and so when we got to um, Thomas um, and having to see the, the his hands and his feet and having to see everything, um, you know, I thought, do I need to see it or can my heart just not burn? You know what I mean? Like where where do I need to uh, exercise some faith a little bit? Um, do I need to actually see the tangible piece? Or can I just be, can I does my heart burning is does that suffice so that's where i that's where i was for the gospels um a little bit of uh doubting ellen maybe which i picked up on uh what's her name uh tara lee she said that they never call him doubting thomas in the gospels that was a name that we all you know named for him and uh so she said um that you know jesus doesn't jesus meets him where he is but not in a shameful way um and so i i think that was important to note that we have wrote the narrative that doubting is shameful. Right. And so um, I sat with some doubts of my own. And uh, I don't know that I felt shameful. Um, I felt uncomfortable. I wouldn't I wouldn't term it shame. But um, so that's where I was a little bit with um, the, the crucifixion and the Gospels. Yeah. In fact, as well, we and we don't talk about this as much, but. John the Baptist had his doubts as well. So John the Baptist was in prison, sent his messengers. Oh, yeah, that's right. To say, hey, are you the one who we all said you were? Because you said you were going to free the captives. Here I am. Hello, captain. <laughs> and Jesus sends a message back like, hey, tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, which is a subtle message saying you're not going to be freed you're going to die but you'll also be raised so yeah i mean john the baptist was a doubter too so yeah it's it's definitely not something i think it's something jesus welcomes and um i think can meet you in and i think it can be a place you go to meet jesus it's a scary thing it's not fun but I do think it can be a, it's not a, it's nothing to be ashamed of, like you said. So, all right, Tiffany, I think I stepped in your toes earlier. You really did, but I came up with bad. another one while we were thinking about it. You're really the worst. Um, so I am. <laughs> well, I'm glad that is one of your favorite insights and stories too, though. So, yeah. So the, um, the re- removal of the stumbling blocks for the Gentiles, because word to us, that's what we are. Um, so that was definitely my first key takeaway, but I'm going to pivot like they do on friends and I'm going to uh, talk about something that used to bother me 
um, about the New Testament that now doesn't. So I, I was always bothered by how long it took for the New Testament to be written down by all of the apostles or, you know, by the, the documentarians of the day. Um, but something to keep in mind is that um, they didn't all know how to read and write. Um, they did a lot of oral history, which I know you've talked on a lot before, John. And um, it's not like writing materials were just all over the place. They would write on whatever kind of scrap um, pottery was around or little pieces of uh, papyrus. I don't know if that's what they were using, whatever. Um, but also it hit me while we were talking through on this episode that they had, first of all, they had more important work than sitting down and transcribing everything that happened uh, during their time with Jesus. That's how they were out spreading the gospel was being on the move and not sitting down and, um, I mean, talking to people and boring them to death out of windows, I guess, but they had, they had bigger missions. And, um, if I were trying to write a documentary about my life or an autobiography, I wouldn't write it right now while I'm in the thick of living it. Um, you see nostalgic, generally older people, um, writing down their memories and creating their memoirs for their family to pass down their traditions. Um, we do a family get together every year up in Gallenberg, or at least we did pre COVID and pre fire. I think it was like 2019 in Gatlinburg when it all just like went up in flames. Um, and the four siblings who started the family, um, reunion tradition, a few of them had passed away, but the surviving members and spouses would sit around a tape recorder and record their stories from growing up. So writing down these stories is something that you do as an older person anyway, or when you're dead and gone, someone comes and writes your biography. So that's something that used to make me uncomfortable that now I'm not having issues with. I can see a little bit more insight to it. We wouldn't have these these documents at all if they never were done, but they're God inspired. So it's not like they're not true and it's not as if they're making something up and putting in fluff for filler. Um, so I, I just think that was really important for me this go around to have learned and figured out. Yeah, that's great. I'm great insight by you as well on that because I, I use this example a lot of times. Number one, anything that happens in your life that's monumental you usually don't have a hard time remembering like some people will criticize the writing of the gospels and say oh it's like the tele telephone game and but you, you can't even do the telephone game and by the time you get to the end of it know what what you started with but the gospel like if you really believe jesus was god and you walked with him every day like you wouldn't forget that just like you know, one of the most monumental days of my life was 9-11. And I can still, to this day, tell you where I was, what I was watching, what I did that morning, who called me. I can tell you all those things. Like, I have a very vivid recollection of that because it was a monumental day in my life. So, same thing. I mean, if you believe Jesus is God and you walked with him, like, you're not going to forget a lot of these kind of things. The other thing is, as you said, uh, yeah, they had a lot of li life to live. And number one, they thought he was coming back during their lifetime. And so I don't think there was a lot of priority put on writing it down. There was priority put on spreading that message. And so they would travel, they would speak, they would be involved in starting churches and things like that. 
as they got to the end of their lives, they realized, oh, I was wrong about him coming back during my life. But they were still so convicted that they were not wrong about who he was that they were like, I've got to preserve this story, right? And so that was kind of what was the impetus for for writing the stories down. And I have compared it to, you know, in the 1940s, World War II happened. And right after that, yes, we made a lot of movies or whatever else about it. But then it kind of died off as far as interest. And then the 1990s came around and... You saw Saving Private Ryan come out. You saw Band of Brothers come out. You saw Pearl Harbor come out. A whole bunch of books started coming out about World War II. Why? Because all the vets that fought in it had started dying. And people were like, we've got to tell their stories. We've got to be more accurate with how we portray this. And that was one of the things, too, is, you know, if you watch some of the old movies from it, they're they're pretty, um, they're pretty, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm t- tame compared to probably what war is really like. And I think Save It Private Ryan captured that well, but that was something that they were able to do because also in that 50 year span of time, technology had improved to the point where they could do that. And the same thing happened happens with, you know, writing these scriptures down. They may have written some of it down beforehand and just whatever they wrote it on didn't preserve. Uh, but the papyrus and the other, I can't remember exactly, if I'd known we were going to talk about this, I could research it a little bit more. But whatever we have scraps of the Gospels on today were things that, um, in fact, we don't have the original copies. I'll tell you that. Like, And it's because whatever they wrote it on at some point in time has, has deteriorated. But we know that enough copies of those copies were made, and we have so many of them. We're like almost we have more confidence in what the Bible said now than we did even 500 years ago because we have more copies of it now than we did 500 years ago. So even though they were closer to it, we have more things to check and reference off of it. And the more we find, the more it's, it corroborates itself, uh, which is a really interesting thing in that as well. But, but the reason we have started finding more and more is because about the year 200, um, whatever people started writing things down on had improved technology-wise and became, became stuff that was more preservable. So that's another interesting part of that story too. We can talk more about that another time, but really glad that you picked up on that and and uh, kind of some of the details you shared along with, you know, I've thought about this quite a bit as well. I guess this is my dot, Doubting John uh, phase of, of, of think, my theological journey, but but yeah, it's I, th- I would compare it to the World War II kind of, you know, um, nostalgia and interest in that that developed a few years ago as those guys were dying off. Uh, you know, for me, insights from, you know, what we just read. So I'll share real quickly. We actually read this at the end of October. But, excuse me. Matthew 18. Jesus has this um, verse where he says, you know, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to put a millstone around their neck and jump into the seat. And that just kind of struck me this time because I, you know, there's so much going on right now on social media and other other places where, you know, we're, we're told um, that we're going to offend people with the Gospels. Um, and I, you know, I, I want to make it very clear that there's a distinction between people be a, being offended because the Gospel message itself is, is offensive versus people being offended because you're a jerk. Uh, there, the Bible does not give you leeway for that. And I see what I would, 
what I would call a lot of that. A lot of people just making their stands or, or doing their social media posts that really are about getting pats on the back from people that already think like you rather than um, actually being a witness. Um, I see a lot of jerks for Jesus kind of things, and I think it can lead to people being unattracted to Jesus, not because they reject Jesus, but they reject your portrayal of him. And I that verse just kind of struck me. Like how many people have we caused to stumble because of our jerk for Jesus witness and for Jesus to say, it would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and go jump in the sea. Um, I, I just put that out there to say like, let that be a warning to us, the way we carry ourselves, um, the, to the people we follow, to the people that we uh, get our information from. Um, it just really struck me. And I think it's a, a message we should take seriously that we do not. Also, I, you know, I've talked about this before. The thief on the cross is a powerful story to me. You know, a thief is someone who took something they shouldn't have taken. And so for me, that story goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden, you have Adam and Eve who are living people who are told that they will die, living thieves that they who are told that they will die. And then on the cross, you have the cross itself becomes representative of the tree of life. And you have Jesus telling a dying thief that he's going to live. And so this is how we get back to the garden. It's this moment right here. And, and it happens on the cross. And there's parallels even with the butt of Christ, which he compares to wine. Wine is a crushed fruit. How do you, you know, what, what happens in the Garden of Eden? The fruit is crushed when it's bitten into, the, you know. So there's just all these parallels. But, but for me, that is the moment. And what does Jesus say? He says, you'll be with me in paradise. He doesn't say you'll be with me in heaven. You'll be with me in paradise, which is how Eden is most often described. So to answer that question, how do we get back to the garden? This is it. And it's this moment on the cross where instead of a living thief being told he will die, a dying thief is being told he will live. And um, to me, that is one of the most powerful moments in all of the Gospels, in all of the Bible. Uh, and then I, I will say this as we get ready to go into December and finish reading some of the epistles of Paul. Notice, um, first of all, as much as you can, read read the letters of Paul in one sitting. Um, don't, you know, they're broken up in our plan over several days, but, but, you know, if you would listen to a sermon in one sitting, try to read these in one sitting because you'll pick up on the message. I think a lot of our mistakes that we make with Paul these days are because Paul uses a style uh, very similarly to Jesus. Jesus is known for saying, you have heard it said, but I say. Uh, I think Paul does that as well. He's very good at, uh, and we could talk more about this next month, but Paul's very good at presenting an argument and at first coming across like like he's agreeing with you. Like he's like, here's what you know. And um, he's he presents some things that are going to make you, the listener, be like, yeah, yeah, get them, Paul. And then he turns the tables on you oftentimes and like really puts the challenge on you even as well. He does this in Romans 1, 2, and 3. It's It's really beautifully done. I think he does it in some of his other passages. And I think for Paul, I think sometimes he he lays out admonitions and he lays out applications to the people that he's writing to. And I think sometimes we mistake his applications as admonitions. And I think that's why we get into debates over like, what do we do with women in ministry and things like that? To me, like what he says about women in ministry in First Timothy 2 
is an application to an admonition that he makes earlier. And the admonition that he makes earlier in First Timothy 2 is that everybody should be quiet. Everybody should live quiet lives. And then he begins applying, what does that look like? And so that's what I would just say as you read Paul, notice those kind of things. Don't notice where he's applying something that he's already said earlier. And you can't do that if you break those readings up and you're spending you know, three or four days reading something that he wants you to read at one time. And that builds off of itself as you go. Because if you if you do that over a couple of days, you'll you'll forget what you've already read. That was kind of the foundation of the argument that he's making. So that's my advice as we uh, as we prepare to close out reading uh, the letters of Paul. Anything uh, you guys want to share? Ellen, I saw you nodding your head when I was talking about the thief on the cross. Oh, yeah, that just like connected for me. I didn't ever I didn't ever put all of that together. And the paradise piece, I just thought he would say in heaven and you said paradise and that just blew my mind. Yeah, it's a it's a great and that's something that's only hit me in the last couple of years. But yeah. So it's a reversal. Because um, you're like, hey, read Paul in one sitting and what he says about women and some women get told to be quiet and other women get like ordained. They're deacons. That's right. Deep. Um, but, deep. But also like this applies to the whole Bible too. Like you can't just cherry pick a certain section. You're going to take it out of context. Like what you say all the time. Uh, you're on the group me for our Sunday school class. And you saw that Jacob and I were having a heated discussion about Samson. And because he's like, Samson was the dude, man. He was like legit. Cause like Samson was the worst. I mean, he was awful. He broke every rule that he was supposed to follow. Yeah. But but he was great. It's like, no, Jacob, you understand. He took a Nazarite vow. Like he was somebody set apart. He really was supposed to be doing extra, not like really not all the things he did. He was awful. He's like, where does it say that he has a Nazarite vow? Like it says it when his mom gets pregnant, you know, like he's going to be kind of like uh, JTB, Nazarite for his whole life. And he sucked at it. And then Jacob, I guess, has never read the whole, that whole section um, of like Judges or somewhere else because I had to explain to him what the Nazarite vow was, which was um, interesting. I'm like, because it's not a place. It's it's like a, a sanctioned uh, life you're going to live. It's a it's a vow for a while. So, yeah. Ellen's dying laughing, y'all. This, this text chain got so heated. Um, there were multiple spouses who were going to sleep, like, separate from one another. Yeah, it was. That's true. That's true. And Samson was a turd who did a good thing in the end. Uh, but yeah, awesome. Well, we are going to uh, wrap up uh, this this show for today. As we do, we're going to look ahead to next month. We're going to, let's talk about a little bit of listener Q&A. We had one question come in on our, our little questionnaire sheet, and it was this. Progressive revelation is huge in the Bible, huge in all caps. Do you think Jesus always knew who he was? Or was it revealed to him as well? What do you say, panel? What do you say, people who went to seminary? Because <laughs> I'm not touching that. Well, Ethan, I, I can tell you what I I think. I'll let Ethan start, and then uh, if if you're if you if you have an answer, Ethan. Uh, I don't have much of an answer to this. Uh, it's not something. I mean, I've considered progressive revelation in a broader term, like more is like God revealed himself to Abraham, you know, a long time ago, and he revealed part of himself 
uh, and he revealed his he was honest, you know, but Abraham didn't know like probably that Jesus uh, was going to come and he was going to be he didn't know the, all the details, right? And I think the further you go in the Bible, the more clear things become until we meet Jesus. And it's like, okay, now things are really clear. But still, the disciples didn't understand while he was around. And then after Jesus dies and is resurrected, that's when the church like gets it. Paul talks right. about how the mystery of faith has been revealed. And so right. when I think of pro- progressive revelation, that's what I think of. I've never considered Jesus uh progressively knowing more so i don't know i would agree it is a debate in theological circles there are some who say well if jesus was human then he wouldn't have he wouldn't have known everything and that's where i mean he was also fully divine at that time too so um but i would agree with you so progressive revelation is a term that is used to describe our understanding of god like not like god's always god god is always the same Progressive revelation just simply talks about how we understand who God is. Uh, so it's really a term used to describe our relation to God, never really God's relation to himself. So God is not changing. We do know that. God is constant. We do know that. And if we're going to say that Jesus is God, he has to be those things as well. Um, now, yes, is you know, Paul talks about him like suppressing his glory to some extent and there's debate over what that means but i think he i don't think he's jesus if he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't know what his mission is and uh he seems even from early on in his ministry from what we're given in the gospels to know where things are headed um plus if he if he knows and he understands the bible like we we've all talked about how the bible is this narrative pointing to jesus we get to the end of jesus's life and he's on the road to emmaus and he says do you not understand all that is all that is written in the law of the prophets and uh, uh, the the wisdom book or the law of the prophets? So he seems to have a very thorough understanding of who he is and, and what he's accomplishing. Now, I do think. Could there be a bit of progressive revelation for Jesus in what it means to be human? I think maybe like maybe. But I think as far as who he is as God. I don't think he can be Jesus uh, and 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 have to come to that understanding, if that makes sense. Um, there are some who take his encounter with the Canaanite woman or Syrophoenician woman. It's, it's in Mark 7 and Matthew 15, I think, as uh, so kind of the more liberal side of, of interpreting this is that Jesus didn't know who he was and the woman helped him see it versus, um, you know, I preached on this a couple months ago and I said, he's not Jesus if that's the case. Uh, really what the woman did there was help Jesus explain to the disciples who they are and what their mission is. And so that's the way I look at it. Um, we just lost, lost Tiffany. <laughs> uh, so anyways, that's my answer to that question. I don't know if it does answer the question, but I, I, I do think, um, and again, there's theological debate about it, but I think most people are going to say, Jesus isn't Jesus if he doesn't know that he's Jesus. Um, any final words or thoughts for you? Oh, yes, go ahead. Well, when you say theological de- debate, where do you, where did, I'm, this is just a curiosity question. Like, are these like in Facebook groups that you find these theological debates? Is this papers that you read in seminary? Oh, it would be like. Like, I don't even know where to, like, I mean, I could Google. What, rep, when you say theological sources, I think reputable it's going to be published, published works. So you'll okay. have, 
you know, like commentaries or things where, you know, the, when I was going through school, the Jesus seminar was this huge thing with, uh, mostly, uh, very liberal scholars, um, that took some very questionable stances on, on who Jesus was and things like that. So that, that kind of like either commentaries or published writings, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm what I'm talking about there. But it would be like something that would you know about it when you're in seminary? Like, would you? Would, I don't know. I can't even think of like an equivalent of. It. I feel like it's just this seminary to me is like this curtain, and I'm just like, well, it's curiosity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? you you're gonna walk into any school or setting like that with the, you know, kind of with what you've been handed, you know, with the setting that you grew up in or whatever, um, I would say, yes, seminary is a place where you kind of get exposure to other thoughts and ideas, and you either solidify your own through that, or you, you know, you, you consider other ideas. And, and I mean, I, I've done that throughout my life. My understanding of the Bible has changed. Uh, so you do want some of that to happen. You do want to come to a more thorough and faithful understanding of the scriptures. So you do want to be challenged in that way. But um, there's also just constants um one of which is uh jesus is fully god you know god is not changing so like there are certain things that if that thing is taken away then everything else unravels so you can't take that thing away and and you do have to see where that idea is reinforced in scripture or laid down in scripture and is the foundation for for all things so does that make sense so there there are certain things that yes um are foundational that I think if you start asking um, or you t- start taking certain interpretations, though you've lost those things entirely. And what you have is no longer Christianity as it's been understood for centuries. Um, I'm so, I'm, I feel like I'm talking very like high no, level theoretical good. here, but that's the best I could do. Well, I'm not giving you very specifics. So I feel like, no, but no, that's a good, uh, that's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. Uh, you, what do you have any final thoughts as we as we close, Ellen? The show sheet says you're giving everybody two hundred dollars for Christmas. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that just, just us, or is that like our listeners? Just wait when y'all don't fill out the show sheet one time. <laughs> nice, nice, Ethan. Any closing thoughts? Um, yeah, I think get ready for the rest of the Bible. Uh, I would encourage you. I think a lot of people get scared of Revelation. I would say you have read through uh, pretty much the whole Bible, and that puts you in the best place you'll ever be in to read Revelation. Uh, a lot of the the images and um, like imagery, I guess, that's used in Revelation comes from the rest of the Bible. Uh, it's not just made-up stuff. Um, and so now is the best time to jump in if you've never jumped in before, or if you're reading it for a second or third time maybe, then... Uh, I hope that maybe the context of the Old Testament and some of the New Testament letters uh, will help you out. Um, so, Ethan, you sound like you like Revelation. I do. I think it gets a bad right. rap. Um, it does get yeah. a bad rap. Yeah. And I don't think it's primarily about the stuff that our culture uses it for. Uh, our culture talks about like, hey, so-and-so is the Antichrist, and the word Antichrist is never used in the book of Revelation. That's in First and Second John. Um, and it's kind of used for fear-mongering in our culture. 
and talking about how God is this big bad person who's coming back to punish everyone. We're really what I was talking about with Matthew 18. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Revelation really is a picture of uh, of Eden again. And it should be something that uh, Christians and all people are excited for and longing for because they're longing for that relationship with God again. Um, but, and so may, maybe my second encouragement for you with Revelation is, I think we all need to realize that we have some biases. Uh, I've talked with uh, the students this semester actually about like, I feel like if we're trying to learn on a whiteboard, I feel like the whiteboard is already filled with markers. Somebody's just written all over it. So if we're going to write anything of substance on the whiteboard and all see it and understand it, we need to wipe off our whiteboard of revelation. We need to take some of our culture and some of our assumptions out of the way uh, before we jump in. So maybe that's my second encouragement to you is like, go in not expecting anything. And as much as possible, only take like what you've read this year in the Bible in with you and see how that might change your reading this time around. Um, don't mm. try as much as possible, maybe not to think about like, oh, are these things already happened or should I be looking for these things? But instead, like try and just read it as a letter um, to some churches and uh, see what the application for you and I might be. So that's a great I metaphor. You didn't take or left behind readings into Revelation with us. That is, we shouldn't. Yes, like, that is what he said. Left behind and then go in. I love the Left Behind series. Um, it's interesting, but yeah, not totally biblically sound. I wouldn't guess. Uh, no, it's not at all. Like, throw out the Left Behind and your understanding of that as you read Revelation. Uh, it's, that goes with what you were saying. Closing it out, Tiffany. Buckle up. That's what you say in your, your associate. Yeah, buckle up for Revelation and get down with the weirdness. Go read Left Behind for fun. Um, and just prep for your 2020. Yeah. So you guys are doing it again. That's that's an important thing to, to say. Uh, you guys are taking some yep. more people with you. Your Sunday school class is going to be going through the Bible together. Well, good luck with that. It's going to be a big undertaking, but we're ready. We're going to do it. We're going to push through. Yeah. I'm excited for you guys. And even if they don't read with us, they're going to get the overview on the Sundays that they're there. And I think it's going to be very educational and get some good topics, discussions going. Yeah. I'm excited. Well, uh, that'll do it for us. I'll just echo what Ethan said. Try to go in and erase that whiteboard. And really, Revelation has been understood in in a lot of settings as, as a message of hope. So that would be my encouragement to you is to see it as a message of hope at Christmas time as we're all looking for hope, as we're all looking for the light in the darkness. So, but for now, we'll talk about that next month. This will do it for this episode of Black, White, and Red all over. If you have found this episode helpful in any way, please give us a like or a share so that other people can find us too. You can also leave a comment. Let us know what you liked or where we were wrong. We'd love to know if you have a question about this month's reading or anything else that you've read in the Bible throughout this year. And with all that said, I want to thank again, Ellen, Tiffany, and Ethan for being with us. We'll be back next month for the 11th and the final episode of this series. We'll be talking about Revelation, as we've already said. So hit the subscribe button if you haven't already so that you don't miss that episode or any future ones as we look to new series and new topics in the year 2023. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time.